I dream of when pen is first But no, you just deem yours Cause my nerve passes for Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host Martin Bushby and as a Brit Wrestling fans will be more than aware, the card is always subject to change and um, I'm without my normal co-host this week as James is away on holiday and Benno is uh, is indisposed. But um, but unlike the New York Knicks, I've managed to claim the top two draft positions and I've uh, drafted Fighting Spirit magazine and uh, Pro Wrestling Torture's Will Cooling. Will, how are you this week? See, this is, this is funny. Like People would think I'm here to replace Benno and JP is here to replace Jamesy, but no, I am the replacement Irishman. I, I, I was Catholic, so that's is that close enough? I don't know. I think you can get away with that. And, uh, and I mean, you, you prefaced it there. Also joining us from the Grapple Spotlight podcast is uh, JP Houlihan. JP, thanks for uh, joining us as well. Absolute pleasure. Hello, gents. How are both of you? Fantastic. All the better for having you on again. It's been a while. I mean, oh, I think we had the has. last on episode uh, around Christmas time, wasn't it? Our best of a uh, 2018 show. That was where it, where it turned very bitter towards the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> very good fun. Enjoy it. And uh, yeah, really delighted to be back on. I am, slightly, I am only slightly more sober than the last time I saw you, JP. Yes, <laughs> yeah, slightly more sober. Not quite, though. <laughs> I mean, uh, we've got tons of shows and news since our last episode. I mean, loads of stuff seems to have happened. I mean, so let's just jump straight in with the reviews. And uh, first up is Progress, who held their fifth annual Super Strong Style 16 tournament on the 4th, 5th and 6th of May at Alexandra Palace in London. And uh, as the name suggests, it's a 16-man tournament with the winner receiving a shot of the Progress title. Uh, past winners have included Will Ospreay, Travis Banks and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. And this is usually a highlight of the European wrestling calendar. Alexander Palace is obviously a lot bigger than the usual Progress home of the Camden Electric Ballroom. And uh, I think they announced around 1,500 in attendance each night. So uh, obviously a lot more than they usually get in at Camden. And... Uh, Nights one and two have dropped on demand, but we're still awaiting night three. And myself and JP have watched bits from the shows, but uh, Will was there live, so he'll be filling in the gaps. Uh, I mean, Will Progress have run Alexander Palace a few times now, and it's a big old venue. Some folks like it, but some people not so much. How did you find it as a venue? So this is the second time I've been Super Strong Style uh, at Alexander Palace. And the thing you have to... It's a weird thing to say, like, it's a nice venue to watch wrestling in, in the sense of it looks impressive as you walk up to it. You have good facilities in terms of there's a bar, there's space for food trucks, the merch is in a nice spacious space. There's a working cash machine, which is a real privilege in British wrestling. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the actual room the wrestling's in, is a big old flat space with a high ceiling. And that is an issue. Um, and I thought that there were actually a number of occasions over the weekend where they very impressively managed to counteract the weakness of that venue in the sense of that is not, it's not conducive for atmosphere traveling. Now, if you compare other plus thousand venues in, uh, in wrestling in Britain or Europe, 
you know, you're looking at places like your call where you have balcony seating. You're looking at Turban Howe, where you have balcony seating. You're looking at places like the various uh, venues, OTC rooms, where they can get the crowd closer to the action. This is very spaced out. It's it's It can create quite a um, uh, laid-back, cold feel when the match isn't clicking. But... There is the advantage of all the amenities. So I enjoy going to Alexander Palace. I enjoy the, the amenities on, available. But yes, I can see why it is very much a diversive place to go watch wrestling. JP, you've, uh, you've been down there before for a show last year, haven't you, as well? That's right. I was there for the second day um, for last year's Super Strong Star. Um, and I grew up around that area as well. So I'm quite familiar with Alexander Palace um, as a place I used to go to and watch ice hockey. The main kind of issue has always been, and Will has said it best, it's kind of those acoustics. Um, I think Progress managed to do pretty well in terms of using the lighting to kind of make the room seem a lot more vibrant than it normally is, because it's effectively a large flat space and they haven't got tiered seating. Um, and the first time they ran a show there, I think it was the Chase the Sun chapter. That one, it didn't have as much in the way of food trucks. So it was quite like that was something they brought in from last year's super strong style. And now it does feel like more of a pleasant experience. The issue is there's nowhere around there that you're actually going to be staying. So you're having to travel either towards um, sort of Muswell Hill or Wood Green. And it's you're dealing with public transport in London. And that can always be a difficult thing. So to actually get 1500 on each of the days is impressive. Yeah. I mean, two things of that. So first of all, I went to all three days of last year's Super Strong Style. I don't. Mm. I didn't see the difference from this year. I thought it was pretty much the same as last year, which mm. is impressive when you think about how much further the buzz around progress has dropped. The second thing, JP was talking about public transport. Obviously, the one of the things that everybody moans about is the fact that Alice in the Palace is on a great big hill. Mm. That you have to, if you take in the tube, you have to walk up. I, where I was staying, my hotel was basically at a point where it made sense to get the bus. Mm. So you get a bus to Camden, and you get a bus to just outside Alexander Palace. Mm. And it was so nice. And so now I've made a decision that when I'm in London, I'm only going to use buses because it is so much cheaper and it is so much pleasant, more pleasant. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can wholeheartedly agree with that. Well, if you fancy a long walk, it's a it's a hell of a hill. You can get your exercise in before drinking your own body weight in beer. <laughs> and I mean, uh, there wasn't much hype going into this. Uh, David Starr was the wrestler with the most buzz going into this tournament after a fantastic video he released saying how he was the one true independent wrestler on this show. And uh, there were also a lot of uh, progress debuts on this weekend. So. I mean, night one, this was all tournament matches. Nothing too spectacular, I don't really think. Um, we had a lot of sort of like people going out. Dragonoff beat Chris Brooks. We had Kyle Fletcher beating Dagger. Travis Banks beating DJZ. John Devlin beating Lucky Kid. Trevor Lee defeating Aerostar. David Starr defeating Artemis Spencer. Paul Robinson defeating Darby Allen, And then Kyle O'Reilly beating Chris Ridgway. And... Um, 
I mean, other than the uh, Chris Ridgway and Kyle O'Reilly match, um, probably being the highlight of this first day, because obviously they've got similar styles, lots of grappling and stiff kicks. I thought, well, there weren't really other memorable matches from, from this day one, really, were there? No, it was crap. Um, I mean, <laughs> let's, be, let's be brutally honest about this. I mean, a lot of people are trying to excuse progress. Oh, it's the, it's the inherent qualities of the... Uh, 16 some a 16 person single elimination tournament but both me and jp went to 16 carat and mm. i thought the first night of 16 carat was may have been the strongest night of the weekend because mm. what the weeks of you did was that yes they had their exhibition matches that were kind of like random matchups to uh to put to kind of wow the local fans with matchups are not seen but they put some Big grudge matches. You look at that 16 carat show. The 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 main event before intermission was Jan Simmons and Avalanche mm-hmm. in a uh, fourth count anywhere match. Now it, it may not have worked for everybody, but that was a big match for people looking forward to. The main event was David Starr versus Walter, which was one of the most intense emotional experiences I've ever experienced in pro wrestling because they booked matches that meant something to the fans. In the first mm. night, progress chose not to do that. Even if you compare it to last year's super strong style, they didn't book anybody to be elevated who is going to be a progress rest, uh, regular moving forward. You look at last year's super strong style, Chuck Mambo was really elevated. I, mean, I remember a time when JP hated Chuck Mambo, yep, and then he saw that Zack Saber match. Uh, and he was converted to Chuck Mambo and thought he was a decent, uh, maybe even adequate wrestler. Uh, <laughs> likewise, Jordan Devlin's match with Tyler really set Jordan Devlin away to really start converting some of the English fans to the fact mm. that he's just a shit Finn Balor. So the first night was terrible. Like I did, I came back from uh, the two nights to a show on the torch about. Uh, Progress Night One and the uh, Kaju Big Battle Show, and I I, 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 I I thought I was pretty critical, and I slept on it. Listen back to what I said, and I had to like do a bit at the beginning of the second night recap to say actually I wasn't critical enough uh, because it was terrible. I, feel, like, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, I watched it on VOD. I wasn't there live. I wouldn't say it was terrible. I thought there was some solid <laughs> wrestling on here. Some it decent was... matches. It was solid wrestling, but what did it do for the promotion? Like, again, last year's first night is not anyone's idea of a classic card, but that was a card that kind of put the rocket and the Chuck Mambo, Jordan Devlin. Who did progress elevate on night one? Yeah, well, I suppose no, that... Really, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I can see that. I mean, I think one of the... It, it was the issue in terms of what would this tournament have been without the David Starr independent promo? Yeah. What what would have been the, the prevailing storyline taking it through into it? Um, and that's partly the impression I got from what, what I saw of the day one was a lot of stuff that was fine in a vacuum. Um, I've seen almost all of these wrestlers have generally better matches, but nothing, nothing I thought was sort of shocking, but it, it just sort of washed over me. Mm. It's almost like I didn't think this was a tournament. It was just like a a, a series of singles matches as much yeah. as anything else. The actual super strong style element 
I almost think, and, and it, it's been something that I think all of us have commented on on the various platforms that we're on, that the aspect of the actual tournament and the prestige of the tournament isn't even there. So when I put on day one, it's not like there's a big promo package saying about, well, here's all the previous winners and some of the storylines and the big moments and previous tournaments. It just sort of goes to Jim Smallman in the ring. And I think those are the kind of things that are the missed opportunity. Certainly if you're watching it on VOD, like me and you did mine, it, it, it for me, you do lose something. Um, if, if it almost feels like if the promotion's not taking the tournament necessarily as seriously as we would like them to, then it's, it was kind of hard for me on that day one to kind of get enthused. I say all this with the proviso of when Will talks about day three, but we'll, cross that road when we come to it because i'm very intrigued i'm very intrigued to see you know how it how it turned itself around so to me like it's like so both carl fletcher and paul robinson go out in the second rounds and paul robinson really goes out it's pretty much a nothing match for kyle o'reilly because his sales not suited to get the most out of kyle o'reilly you could have had kyle o'reilly versus paul robinson as like the coder to their their tag team feud that would have been awesome. That would have been cool. Um, you know, you and again, person's fake, so you can always work backwards from your big tournament. So, like, the lack of feuds leading into this and having their payoff in the opening round hurt it. Now, that isn't the way progress of a book took a strong sell. I admit that. But likewise, they usually <coughs> give a few guys that look into highlights in the future mm. the spotlight and you can say okay maybe lucky kid but other than lucky kids who was made from this you know, people will say chris ridgeway but chris ridgeway a is challenged for the title already mm. and two is going to disappear for a few months um due to going to japan which we're going to talk about later so yeah i i i thought no, even if you compare a night for light, this was a much weaker night one than last year. Yeah, I thought I thought it was weaker than last year, but I still thought uh, bell to bell it was uh, like you noted there, JP, fairly forgettable, but still pretty solid. But um, I think things picked mm. up a lot on night two. We opened up with a pretty fun match between Aerostar and Daga. It was the, um, but it was really the second match that got everyone going. The first quarter final of the tournament, uh, you had. John Devlin taking on Kyle Fletcher. I thought this was a fantastic match. Lots of super slick counters and some great flying from both. Uh, really pricked the crowd up. Uh, Devlin winning and advancing to the semis here, Will. Oh, I, I love this match. This match was so awesome. And one of the things was the crowd was back on. Because one of the things about night one, the crowd was terrible. Even when they were making noise, or stupid noise, like whenever anybody was eliminated to say, please come back, it's like, they're coming back tomorrow, mate. Why are you chanting that? <laughs> you're, you're just me. Here, the crowd are lively, they're engaged, they are passionate. So many great spots, so many, so many near near falls. The headbutt finisher of Devlin is one of the best finishes in pro wrestling. He delivers it so well, it feels nasty, but it's safe. If you actually look at it closely, he's delivering a really vicious headbutt in the safest way possible. Yeah. I absolutely love that match. And I've seen a lot of great Carl Fletcher matches. That is that or his match in Fight Club Pro against Mika Satomura, which is Fletcher's 
best singles match. And I've said this to people who are New Japan fans. Okay, New Japan's got El Fantasmo. But if you're looking for the best um, lighter weight pro wrestler based in Wolverhampton, Fletcher's your man. He's, he's had, no, a few exceptions to Red Pro, Fletcher hits the heights. Um, I don't think El Fantasmo can in terms of singles matches. And this was the example. And one thing I say is like, this, this match and what happens over the next couple of nights, I am still convinced Devlin was meant to win this tournament. Uh, we'll talk about that when we talk about the book, booking, but this is a type of match progress like to have the winner super strong style have. Mm. Yeah, like a big showcase match, wasn't it? And it certainly uh, certainly was for Devlin and like you said there, Kyle Fletcher, but I think I don't think the other tournament matches were too much right home about. Ilya Dragunov defeated Trevor Lee, <laughs> Kyle O'Reilly beat Paul Robinson, and then the final quarter match was a. Uh, David Starr and Travis Banks going to a double count out. I mean, this was a great match until a dodgy finish. Uh, both men simultaneously pinning each other before the match was restarted, only for them both to get counted out following suplex on the entranceway. I mean, this was uh, this made the semi-final match a triple threat between Starr, Dragunov, and Travis Banks. And while I enjoyed the majority of the match, I mean, I don't get why they did the convoluted finish, and I didn't really see the point of making one of the semis a three-way, Will. Uh, yeah, I, could, I, I disagree with that. Um, I actually thought it was quite clever booking um, for a few reasons. One, um, they one it just means you your one of your semifinals is is kind of distinguished from the other. Two, it adds to the storyline of David Starr battling WWE Machine. Because now to win the tournament in one night, he has to defeat three WWE UK superstars. Three, you have to remember, and this is that um, uh, Shauna on Twitter, Shauna Freud on Twitter, pointed out that I'd forgotten. Travis Banks comes back from his injury in progress by interrupting a Eli Dragunov and... David Star match. Oh yes, I remember that. Yeah. So to to go full circle and have a semi final where it's a triple threat actually makes sense, and I thought it actually worked quite well in the sense of that you know they, they kind of teased the 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 uh, the inconclusive finish, and they went a bit longer. They then did the inconclusive finish again. The brawl afterwards was great like it really felt chaotic it felt like the promotion was losing control um so yeah i i really enjoyed it like i i know i'm in the minority opinion on this but i really enjoyed it i thought it made it was perfectly logical storytelling and i thought it paid off and it helped further that storyline of maybe things aren't on the level for stars rise to the tournament uh, championship um, the other thing, and I know this is controversial when people say this, and I go into an argument with somebody on Twitter, that first night reaction to Storm took everybody by surprise. Anybody who was in the arena on night one was surprised by that reaction because, yes, that promo he did was great. Yes, it was greatly produced by James Musselwhite. Had no promotion from Progress. They didn't retreat it once. It wasn't picked up by the big wrestling sites. There's only people like ourselves in the British wrestling bubble 
Mm. I think everybody was surprised by how people took to it and how what a big reaction Star got. Because like we've all complained about it before. Star's book, like a mid-carder in progress, he did not get a mid-carder reaction. He was beloved on night one. And so I Star hints at this when he was talking to journalists after night three. You can take that or leave it. But I've heard other things as well. I think they were also booking on the fly to move to Star being a winner because I am pretty sure definitely was he the original winner. Mm, that's quite that's quite the thing yeah. there. Yeah, because obviously this uh, independent wrestler uh, thing that Star's really been pushing this year has uh, really caught mm. the crowd's imagination, hasn't it, JP? Oh, it really has. I mean, I actually bought a T-shirt off him at the Rev Pro show. <laughs> um, and while I used to go pretty berserk on buying T-shirts, I haven't done for a while, but this is something actually I feel I can get behind. Um, one of the things David Starr is, is excellent at is actually kind of getting to the zeitgeist of wrestling fans, of really understanding kind of sort of debates. Where, and he, he knows how to appeal to the bubble. And then he kind of works on, okay, I'm going to have this, and then hopefully it can expand from there. And I think him and James Musselwhite have kind of really tapped into something because one of the things you, you realise when you sort of speak to David Starr is this is someone who, you know, regardless of whether or not you love or hate him, he, he is exactly who he is. This isn't someone who you think he's putting on some kind of an act. And his level of independence has always been that he is someone who's kind of questioned the idea of why wrestlers chase contracts. Why should that be the be-all and end-all? Why don't you sort of develop yourself, develop your own brand and work for yourself and have some element of control over his character? And he's done that. And it, it feels now like between all of the sort of big European promotions – He's now progress was the only one really that before this weekend hadn't really done anything with it. And I kind of think like Will said, he has forced their hand to a certain degree where they had to. I can believe the booking on the fly. My wariness about it is obviously if you're doing that kind of a screwy finish that you're going to end up leading on to what happened in the main event as well. And I think those two things combined can leave a sour taste in your mouth. The other thing about Star being independent is he's kind of independent from promo- independent promotions as well. Mm. Like you can point to people who who their stardom is linked to an indie promotion, like um, Jordan Devlin. Well, he got over by OTT. Walter uh, WXW then for Anglophone is Progress, and I, and I actually I do think we're slating Progress a bit, but I do think people overlook the work Progress did to get Walter over. To English-speaking audiences and however the mm. apps then capitalise on that, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You look at Star, he's never been put as the ace of an indie. Like, that, that's the whole point of his gimmick in Beyond Wrestling, where he says he's the ace of Beyond Wrestling, but the whole point is he's the antagonist, he's a heel. He's not actually the ace of Beyond Wrestling. So he's independent because... He has, over the past few months, ever since that promo about uh, to build up his match um, with the, uh, in Israel, he has taken his career into his own hands and mm. he's imposed his own storylines on his promotions. Yeah. Like, pe- he- people, are, people are focused on that Israeli promotion. He did, one, he did one for his OTT match against Flip Gordon, where he made it him as a progressive against Flip Gordon, as a fat earther who wrestles yep. for Sinclair. Like, this is what he's now doing. 
but he's able to tap into that. He's able to play onto genuine progressive politics. And I've had a few discussions with him about politics because, like you will, I'm a bit of a, 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 I'm a US politics junkie. So <laughs> I happily talk to him about this. And one of the things he's done is he's just brought in effectively that side of him we've always seen on Twitter, where he is, he's very much getting involved in current US political debates. Um, and he's very much in the sort of like Bernie Sanders camp, as he, as this, as the, uh, um, nickname goes um but yeah so there's an element of authenticity of this and i think that's why there is the crowd connection although um at times obviously you get people like kylo riley who are being cheered so there is that still that dichotomy that exists within the crowd where you've got this kind of desire to be independent but at the same time this is a guy who's a wwe superstar and there's there's still that element of that 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 exists and it's a weird clash i get how it happens as a fan, you can just be excited to see really good wrestlers and just react to them as they're there. But ultimately, it's it's quite interesting if you think of sort of who got the big reactions of the weekend. I'm thinking particularly of like Kyle O'Reilly and David Starr. The reason why we all hate WWE, sorry, why we may view WWE through a more critical lens whilst we do our objective journalism, um, whilst we hate WWE, is because <laughs> they steal good wrestlers from the Indies. So I don't like people have said that there's a contradiction between cheering David Starr saying we want to be independent and cheering Kyle O'Reilly. But surely the point is Kyle O'Reilly's awesome. It'd be nice he was mm. able to do great matches on the Indies, but he's not because WWE have bought him out so he could, they can stick him in a warehouse in Florida. Like they're not, they don't contradict. They're perfectly aligned. We cheer Kyle O'Reilly because we like him. We cheer David Starr because we don't want David Starr to end up with Kyle O'Reilly's fate. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I can I can see your point there. So, I mean, moving on to the rest of the second night, we had a, an eight-man no-DQ tag match between... <laughs> uh, this was quite the... Uh, <laughs> I can hear you laughing there. Uh, obviously, we had the uh, faction of, of the progress... Progress Old Guard, which was uh, Jimmy Havoc, Mark Haskins, El Ligero, and Mark Andrews facing off against uh, Do Not Resuscitate, which has uh, been an, an interesting faction in progress because, uh, I mean, these guys obviously started off their uh, whole storyline with this, uh, you know, claiming that they were u- u- underutilized by progress, constantly being overlooked by the company. I mean, when it first started, I thought this was a decent story, in my opinion. But since their debut, they've just been made to look like nothing. I mean, Mark Haskins even destroyed Mambo and Trivé in a handicap match at Chapter 84. So coming into this show, nobody thought they had a chance of beating the progress originals. Um but this match was something else. I mean, watching this on VOD, my mind wandered all over the place. I'm really struggling with how much of a mess it was, Will. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like watching it live. It was kind of fun live, actually. Um, it was just one big nostalgic callback after another. And this was uh, this was Millionaire's Club versus New Blood. Um, they finally embraced the angle they'd been booking for the past six months. And so it was just the old baby faces taking the young guys to the woodshed. This was Hulk Hogan versus Billy Kidman. And um, and it, it was fine because the reality is there is no equity left in DNR. The angle needs to be killed. 
So you might as well kill it dead with a big match where the baby faces go over with a bunch of nostalgic spots. Given the landscape, I would not be surprised if it's the last super strong style Mark Haskins allowed to work. Um, mm. I can't I can't imagine Ring of Honor contracted wrestlers will be allowed to work progress much longer. We already knew that Jimmy Havoc was leaving. We already knew that Drew Parker was leaving. You never know where Leguero or uh, Andrews were going to be called back. So fuck it. There's nothing left in the NR. There's nothing left in it. It's, it's completely dead. So just let them be jobbed out with as, as all the um, baby faces hit their big spots. The thing, the issue I had, and this is a different issue to what other people have. We'll get onto this in a second. Was they did the big uh, FSU reunion, the Andrews uh, Dennis reunion. Eddie Dennis was on commentary. Mm. They do. They kind of tease hitting Vicky Haskins. Uh, Eddie Dennis kind of intervenes. It, uh, Mambo goes him into the ring. He's surrounded. Andrews comes out to save Dennis to then fight off DNR. That should have led to the finish. That was the biggest spot in the match. Why they then had DNR do a comeback so Havoc and Haskins could actually get the win is just beyond me because Havoc and Haskins were shit. Um, whereas, you know, FSU was good and people liked FSU and it played into the uh, post-match stuff, which will last a lot. Martin, did they play Party Hard on the VOD or did they just cut? Uh, I think, yeah, I think they just cut it. Yeah. Yeah, so what happened live was they had the baby faces in the ring and then they played Party Hard and everybody kind of bobbed them down to Party Hard for a bit. So to me, they should have ended with FSU reuniting, Andrew's getting the win to move on to the next chapter. I mean, anyway, but the thing with Eddie Dennis, I mean, I know they've been teasing all this with him coming out, facing off against uh, Do Not Resuscitate, but um, I don't know about this reunion with Mark Andrews. I mean, someone who we spent the majority of 2008 feuding with, and, you know, that all seems to... Obviously, Eddie Dennis has been injured again, so they couldn't do a great deal with it, but that just seems to have all fizzled out, JP. Yeah, it really has. And um, I was very high going into the Wembley show for that match. But it kind of shows you as well what that match did to the feud. Because mm. it did at that point kind of kill it completely stone dead. And then Eddie Dennis's injuries have, have been the other thing that hasn't particularly helped. It felt like something that we're definitely doing for the for the for the live audience in order to get the reaction. But it's been something that's been a, a constant for me since the sort of presence of NXT UK, where there is some of the storylines are kind of coming to these somewhat unnatural ends. So as Will said about like kind of turning this into millionaires club versus new blood and then kind of killing it stone dead. I am very worried if you ever take sort of tips from Vince Russo in the year 2000 for booking ideas, (laughs) it never, never ends well, really doesn't. Um, (laughs) But um, also with DNR, um, one of the things listening to the last episode that you did is I went and immediately then went out and watched Riptide. And I loved Riptide. And seeing people like um, like Mambo and Spike Trevay in that entirely entire environment with some more careful booking and protecting of the characters, you could see the real upside here. But 
they fell for the trope of kind of rather lazily putting together a group with no explanation, much in the same way that we had Havoc and Haskins getting together with no real explanation quite a while back. And there's just too many times where there's like, there's no real explanation, but it's fun live. I think at those points, as someone who predominantly watches progress on VOD, it starts to really great. It's like, can we just have some simplistic logic, please? Um, but I, I understand why they're doing things because there's that kind of complex situation of who they can and they can't use, but it doesn't help the product. And this is a match. I remember hearing uh, at the time thinking, no, I, I'm, I'm not looking forward to this at all. Like you, Martin, saw the first DNR angle, thought they could do this if they put this really carefully. And then it was kind of gone with and dead. And it kind of then now goes to show about moving forward. How does progress develop that mid card because surely at least three of those members of DNR would have had to, would be part of that mid card and they're in a worse place than kind of what they started off with. Well, this is, this is where I cackle to myself and cause I hated it from the beginning as I, mm. I, mentioned, I mentioned at least once every time I'm on the, uh, the British wrestling experience um, because it, it, the nature of the angle the reason why I said it was Millionaire's Club versus New Blood was because it was obliterating the differences between the people. It was forcing people into this weird veterans versus young blood that wasn't natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was well, thinking it could be it could just be called Brexus. <laughs> <laughs> but like it didn't work, so you might as well kill it dead. Let the guys go away for a while, then bring back the ones that are worthwhile. Um, i.e. The, the, not the levers. Um, the other thing I'd say is, in terms of FSU, like JP said, the TLC match killed the grudge match dead, and Eddie Dennis was already getting, turning, being turned babyface by the fans, mm. because what he was saying made sense to him. Like, I was at the Super Strong Styles show where he did his big promo about against Mark Andrews, and he got cheers down. Because what he was saying was a babyface promo. You went to WWE UK. You left me by myself. You're selfish. I've been left to deal with the, your shit. You know, like that was what he did. Um, and so to me, you're going to turn, they were clearly trying to turn Eddie Dennis babyface. <laughs> so you always had to resolve this issue with Mark Andrews. So I'm not doing it now. Like, it, it, you know, like, if you've been watching the progress shows, it was a constant issue. They constantly try and get Eddie Dennis to do these babyface promos. And he would always have to reference the fact that he hated Mark Andrews still. Um, the other thing I'd say is, I agree, and we'll talk about this with the Davis Star victory at the end, but progress to a moment booking for the live crowd. Mm. But the live crowd loved this match. Like they really did. Um, and they loved the end and they loved the reunion between FSU. This is like it was a stupid match to culminate a stupid angle, but it's the best stupid match they could have booked, I think. Yeah, perhaps it was from watching it on BOD, perhaps if I'd been there live, like with the so many Fight Club Pro shows like we were discussing uh, last time around. Mm. Yeah, perhaps it's that live bias. Well, I mean, uh, this was Drew Parker's last match in the UK for a long while. He's now gone to Japan for a tour with Big Japan. I mean, it's fantastic news for uh, um, Drew Parker. I think he's only about 19, JP. 
Yep. Yep. Very, very young. I mean, the first time I remember seeing him was on Attack, where he was doing um, the sort of ECW tribute. Um, and it was, it's kind of bizarre to see him going across because he predominantly wants to really be a, the best deathmatch mess wrestler in the world, which is not an ambition that I would ever have. Um, good luck to him for that. But I think the other thing that Big Japan is kind of rather understated on is there are some really great matches. I mean, obviously they've got um, Okabayashi and Daisuke Sakamoto over there and they do have a crew of some generally good workers in amongst the sort of deathmatch stuff. Um, for a man as young as that, it's a great thing for him to be able to go out and explore the world and be able to kind of test himself. Um, I've, I think as well... He's going to be able to kind of um, hide himself, uh, say hide himself. It, it, it's almost like he's kind of out of the spotlight. And I think absence might make the heart grow fonder, particularly in sort of in this angle that we've been talking about, that he's him being away in Japan somewhat kind of protects him and might insulate him away. Whereas for the other characters in the faction, it might be a bit more difficult. But yeah, fair play to him. It's a it's a great move. I'm kind of jealous. I, I, I'm jealous I didn't get to do that when I was 19, 20. So. I had a chance to train because one of the things, like this was a few uh, weeks ago now on, on the uh, talk show, I talked about one of the things people don't realise is the reason why we have so many Australasians in the UK is due to the Youth Mobility Scheme, which is basically backpacker visa, where you, you know, if you're from Britain or you're from, uh, if, you're, if you're from the countries in the scheme, if you're under 30, if you're looking to, if you don't have dependents, if you have £2,000 in savings, you can get a two-year visa, pretty much no questions asked, to work in in the country. And it's a reciprocal basis. And I think most people assume it was like Britain and Commonwealth countries, but Japan is one of those countries. And I assume that's what Drew Parker's using. As the thing I'll be interested in seeing Will more British wrestlers follow in his way? Because as the kind of the prestige of British wrestling grows, will some of the smaller Japanese promotions want to open their doors for young British wrestlers? Because you see this with the women wrestlers. Like virtually every single woman wrestler that goes over to uh, stardom improves mm. as an worker like um, when we were in germany for world tag league mm. you were telling me about martina having one of the worst women's matches you've ever seen yeah. weekend and then she comes back after doing a couple of tours of stardom and has a really decent match and has uh, on femme fatales yeah yeah she has and, and, and she's really improved as well and and there are you know there are others there i mean um b priestley for example, who's over in stardom and, and looking looking great as well. Um, so it's it's a hell of a growing experience. And uh, I mean, finishing off the uh, second night of Progress, there was a title unification match between Progress champion Walter and Atlas champion Trent Seven. And uh, the Atlas title hasn't really got going since he introduced mm. it. I mean, it was a good idea having a big lads title. Uh, had some good matches when Matt Riddle held it for a while, but they struggled to keep any interest. So Good idea for Progress to unify the titles here, I thought. Um, and I really enjoyed this match for Trent and Walter trading some huge chops, lariats, and everything you want from these two. Um, I mean, the, we had a bit of a dodgy finish as both seemed to cancel each other out. Referee Joel was knocked out. Walter grabbed both belts and both men looked to hit each other with the belts. 
Joe, seeming, Joel seemingly made a miraculous recovery and stopped Trump from using the belt. You know, Walter slapped on a Kimura with uh, Seven managing to keep his arm up with Joel looking away. Trent managed to get his foot on the rope, but Walter knocked it off as Trent passed out and lost due to referee stoppage. It sort of reminded me a bit about when The Undertaker tapped to Lesnar at SummerSlam 2015, but the mm. referee wasn't seeing it. I mean, shame we had another convoluted finish, but I really, really enjoyed this match, JP. Yeah, um, I was enjoying this match up until that finish. Um there was it, it felt like a sort of a, a classic sort of big Walter match. And it was the best I'd seen Trent Seven for a while as well, because clearly he was absolutely pumped. The, they had the crowd on side of all. They were a little bit slow to get into it, but they, and then they started to kind of um, really get into the match towards the end. But my God, um, I wasn't a fan of this finish as well. In some ways, what it ended up reminding me was um, 16 Carat and Walter David Starr. And almost what they they done for the finish there of of kind of screwing Star out of the opportunity, but not in a kind of overtly heelish way. Um, so I wasn't uh, a fan of that. And also from having been at the Super Strong Style Night Two the year before, whereas Walter versus Travis Banks, that's the one where where Travis Banks left the ring and and got yeah, counted yeah, on out the 10, yeah. on the ten. And that two years in a row. That's not something that's a good sign. Again, and I'm sorry that we're always going back to sort of super strong style 16. If you think about those night two big world title main events and what they end up meaning, they shouldn't be having these kind of finishes in there. I, I'm, I'm just not necessarily a fan of it. I'm fine with the downbeat win. I mean, I loved um, Walter Tyler Bate at, at Wembley. Um, and that had that kind of the relentlessness of Walter was the thing that ended up um, having him win. And that was fine because it's, it's completely legitimate, but this, and I think on the back of the um, Travis Banks, um, David Starr match as well, I can remember like hearing about the reaction from people when they were leaving on that night too. And there, and there was, you know, there were certainly some people who were disgruntled. Well, the thing I found was it's that it feels like progress have convinced themselves the fans turn Walter heel. And it's like, no. Mm. Like, Walter's still really... Like, uh, Travis was talking to journalists um, after this night, actually, after night two. And he was talking about how when Walter got booed, he went to people and said, I told you, I told you it happened. It's like, what are you talking about, Travis? He's not really been booed that much. There's been a few occasions where he's going to go against a really popular babyface and they can <coughs> proud. But mm. even here, where they tried to turn Walter Heal in the build-up, he was getting cheered. I guess Trent Seven is one of the most popular wrestlers in the UK. Um, I thought this was, um, the finish was much inferior to the star finish um, at 16 Carat, because that was Walter being sneaky for a reason, in the sense of star got him, and then he kind of played ringmanship to escape with a victory. This was referee gets hit with a belt. So referee gets hit, gets knocked down. Walter then turns into stereotypical, stereotypical heel and starts to do heel things because he's a heel. And you need to know that he's a heel. Um, and I do not like that. I don't like Walter cheating that way. Mm. Have him be a bully, have him take liberties, have him be vicious. The whole point of Walter, in my mind, 
is he's the type of guy who doesn't need a belt. He doesn't need to hit somebody with a championship belt. He, he, he's enough of a lethal weapon. Um, and and Seven is such a good seller and he's so likeable that you don't need to have the bells and whistles to get babyface sympathy on Seven. The thing I find bizarre with this result, given the fact that Walter's WWE UK champion, is just how much they protected Seven, to be honest. Like, and a lot of people, including uh, David Bixon's man, who's talking about how is this, is this WWE trying to get their way over progress to make Walter win? It's like, I, if anything, I think it's the opposite. Like, it just feels like Walter gave Seven an awful lot in this match. Like, the, the threatened belt shots, the, the choke, Seven managed to not submit to the choke, Seven having the foot on the ropes. That, that's an awful lot of kind of cover to excuse Seven losing. And I find it, to be honest, I find it baffling. Like, there wasn't that kind of protection of Walter, um, uh, the protection of Walter when he lost to Devlin. There wasn't that protection of Tyler when he lost to Walter. There wasn't that protection of Dunn when he lost to Travis. Why they felt the need to protect Seven so much, I do find genuinely baffling. And it talks again to my belief that this was there was a lot of last-minute rebooking of this weekend i suppose trent's quite a prominent member of nxt uk he's one of the sort of like higher profile members but then when you listed those other matches i suppose there are other rare high profile <laughs> sort of people of nxt uk but i suppose if trent's staying around in progress then you know a real decisive walter smash victory wouldn't do much for him would it so uh but yeah i agree to your point that walter doesn't need to be going out and grabbing the belts and knocking refs over and things like that you know because he's walter that that should be enough. But, um, JP, I wonder what are your thoughts on... what the, Obviously, Walter's an NXT UK champion. What are your thoughts with uh, where progress go with him now as uh, being the all-conquering dominant champion now? Is he just going to sort of, like, smash through a few opponents or are we going to see him uh, missing a few shows over the summer? I fear it's going to end up being the latter, partly because I think the latter's going to be somewhat out of their hands. Um, but... It's difficult to see who the natural kind of contender is, other than if they do the match that, to be honest with you, how I personally feel about it, is the match that Progress should really not have any right to do, and that's Star versus Walter. Um, <laughs> because I, I imagine with the dates, the earliest that they're able to do that, because I think the the next show is obviously the 80s show, it's non-canon. I think the one after that, there's a clash. I want to say it's a clash with OTT. Um and Star's already been booked on that. So I think it starts to get later on into the summer. And so, you know, effectively, it's difficult to see what they're going to do outside of that and what other options um, they've got. I mean, who would you go with, Martin? Well, that um, same as you. I've, uh, other than sort of like maybe if they sort of like do a Trent Seven rematch, I, I think Walter's going to be missing a lot of this because I'm assuming they're going to build up the Star Walter match for uh, mm. the biggest show they've got after the summer. So 
It will be interesting to see if he if he's on this. I'm assuming he's going to be on the tour of uh, Toronto they're doing. Well, I say tour, the two dates in Toronto they're doing yeah. prior to SummerSlam because obviously he'll be there for NXT UK commitment. So I'm assuming he'll take some local guys on there. But uh, did, nobody jumps out to me as, as being a, a contender. Does anybody to you, Will? No, um, to be honest, this is this is the thing. Like, it's weird because like, I, as we've made the joke before, Martin. Like, every time I come on this show, I predict Walter's going to lose his title because <laughs> it makes sense. But I've got to be honest. The minute the match against Seven began, I was like, Seven's not winning this. Mm-hmm. Like, all my confidence of Seven winning drained the minute I saw him together. Um, one thing I'd say is, I am less precious about WXW being a one to have uh, Star beat Walter because they had the perfect chance to do it and they decided not to before Walter got the DWE UK title mm. they could have done it they've done this weird storyline where Star turns heel you know you're not going to get the Star babyface victory over Walter now in WXW because of what they've done since 16 Carat. So if WXW, for whatever reason, can't or won't do that, I'm perfectly happy with uh, progress being the one to get it done. We'll talk about what, why in more detail later. But yeah, like in terms of what Walter does from now till then, I don't know. One of the things I will say is should and Grace retained a women's title on night three, and I was talking to journalists afterwards, she was quite clear. She's not coming back until September for the, the next Alexander Palace show. And I would not be surprised if they have Walter do the same thing to kind of further the storyline of Walter being the absentee champion. Yeah, but do you need to have the point you've made there, I think. And I mean, and you mentioned Jordan Grace there and the women's title. And obviously, we saw a number of departures, especially. Over this weekend, Jimmy Havoc, possibly Mark Haskins, Drew Parker leaving for a while, but uh, Ginny had a match against Session Marth Martina, and it seems she's done with progress now, JP. Yes, she she is. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm, uh, of this, I'm not necessarily disappointed. I think Ginny had very much sort of run her course in the promotion. Um, and I'm one of the few people who probably think, actually, I think being in the WWE system would be something that's actually beneficial for her because I think it's something that might help her advance in a way that um, that I would have liked to have seen her here. Um, And also the division itself has always in some ways been centred around her and it needs to be refreshed. But then as Will's, you know, just said, you know, the idea of Jordan Grace not being back any time before after the summer, it's, you know, you could do that. I think with one title doing it with two, kind of reminds me of the situation that Rev Pro had not that long ago where they they had titles on, on New Japan stars and then being away. But I think Ginny being out of there at least kind of you can hopefully build up some challenges in the meantime. It seemed to me that they've been positioning Nina Samuels, who seems like her character is very much like a kind of face version of Ginny, if anything else. Um but I'm not really convinced by her, to be honest with you. And it's never, I've, when I've seen her matches, they've not seemed like they're necessary up to a standard. I like Jordan Grace. She's um, an excellent wrestler, but there isn't anybody, again, on that undercard, like we're talking about the world title situation, who can come in and instantly be credible against her. 
it was finished because the, the full way they did, Nina Samuels was lost. Like, she was just a non-factor in that full way, which surprised me because she's actually done some good matches in EVE lately and she has much improved. Um, Session uh, Session Martina, I was impressed with how over she was to the Progress crowd. Not got her usual music, but not not wrestled in London for a long time. Not really wrestled on a big Progress show for a while. And she was over, not university across the crowd, but over enough where it had a bit more heat than the average women's match in Progress. And you get to the four-way. To me, what it pretty clearly signposted was Grace McKenzie. Now, whether pro, because basically what the, the, the finish was uh, Mackenzie Spears Martina, Grace comes in, dumps Mackenzie out of the ring, steals a pinfall. Um, so Grace, as the heel, because she did a bit of heel promo work beforehand against Mackenzie, I think that's a big match. I think that could work. How you get there, how you kind of give merely a like hero's quest to and keep the fans engaged over the next few months. That's a different question. Worth bearing in mind, then obviously we mentioned the eighties show is non-canon. And I think that may be when Millie's still in Japan, I don't know. But then the June 30th show, Millie probably won't be around either because she'll be doing Wrestle Queendom. So it, I can I can easily see the women's division being in abeyance until July, which is a shame because actually Progress did a good job this weekend. They both women's matches on night two and night three both seemed like a big deal and they presented them well and they got the crowd invested. And um, this is the best other than I wasn't a fan of the match, but the Ginny Tony Storm match in Manchester last year was a big deal. Other than that, this is the best I've seen progress present women's wrestling in a long time. I mean, you've discussed um, already, obviously, the the women's match on night three. I mean, uh, let's move completely on to night three now. We had a Jimmy Havoc's final ever match for progress against Paul Robinson in a death match. The two semi-finals of the tournament, Ilya Dragunov v. Travis Banks v. David Starr in a three-way and John Devlin v. Kyle O'Reilly in a... Will, you were there live. Lots to talk about from night three. I mean, uh, text through the tournament matches and the eventual winner first. Yeah, so, like, I always say night three, three-day tournament, the fans are getting tired. And I don't know if I was getting tired. I thought both semifinals disappointed, personally. Um, David Starr won the three-way. It was made elimination rules. I think that was a way to try and troll the crowd to make him assume they're going to be a, like a screwy finish to uh, get to, to let Travis Banks sneak sneak through the middle. But to Travis Banks pin Dragunov, then uh, David Starr pin Banks. It was fine. Likewise, Kyle O'Reilly did, uh, uh, defeated Jordan Devlin in Devlin's weakest match of the tournament. Um, the Devlin-O'Reilly match was very much built around the idea that uh, O'Reilly was try- kept trying to do stri- uh, to do submission grappling, whereas Devlin was trying to do striking. To me, when it really picked up was the ha- Havoc uh, Robinson match, because 
No, I saw the Havoc uh, Janela deathmatch uh, death last year and was bored through it. And don't know how they did it, but they managed to get a really nasty atmosphere in uh, Alexander Palace. As, as we said before, it's not easy given the nature of the venue. Not much walk and brawl, not much table spots. This was basically Jimmy Havoc and Paul Robinson hitting each other with light tubes. Um, there was a gruesome spot where Havoc is going for a uh, light tube-assisted Rainmaker. And Paul Robinson's counter was to spear headfirst into the light tube. Jesus Christ. Uh, um, this was a gnarly match. This was pretty nasty. Havoc was a mess. Had to go to the hospital afterwards. But it was good. Like, you know, if you want a death match, this was a death match, and it was a pretty good death match. And afterwards, Havoc had his goodbye. Havoc lost. Havoc had his goodbye. Um, drank his own blood, which was... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck that. Um, <laughs> absolutely disgusting. Um, and they did, like, nice comments on both uh, Smallman and Havoc. Interesting thing, as just as we're talking about with FSU reunion, they play party hard afterwards. For this, the entrances of both Havoc and uh, Robinson had their real entrance music. Um, they probably need to bother with Robinson because it's been like he has such a big gap and Progress's fan base has changed so much. I don't think many people in attendance knew his, his original theme yeah. song. Mm. But Havoc went out to AFI. That really did add a lot to the match. Um, so, yeah, so, and then it picked up. You had uh, Aussie Open uh, defender tag titles against Dagger and uh, Aerostar. I thought Progress did a really good job of making the most out of those two guys with the weekend. So, I'm going out in the first, in the first round, having much to get in the second round, doing this tag match, really fun tag match. Always been around a four-way, which was a semi-main event. Had a big uh, intro to hype it, intro video to hype it, make it a big deal. And then you get to the main event. David Sarge, Jordan Devlin. Maybe the best match I've seen live this year. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure it is. I think, I'm pretty sure it's better than anything in Carrot. Ironically, I think the only thing that comes close is Star Walter. Um, this was... An epic. The, the fans were so invested. They did. A, it was really smartly con, uh, constructed. They did a babyface match between Star and Devlin for a bit. Then they have Devlin go to heel when he uh, Star basically Star basically goes for a baseball slide, hits his head, hits his chin and neck on the bottom rope, is out selling the injury on the side. Devlin's taken the count out like a coward when he realises he can't get it. He then beats up Star on the outside. After that, he's basically playing heel. Lots of really clever callbacks to previous matches. So in the same way, no, he beat Devlin, he beat Fletcher with the headbutt. Devlin hits the headbutt, but Star lands on top of uh, Devlin rather than the way round, and Devlin has to kick out. Um, at one point, you think... Um, uh, Devlin's going to hit his back suplex that he won a, he won a match earlier on, but Star reverses to his body to back, but Devlin kicks out. And they've been teasing throughout that, that Devlin was going to tap out in all of his matches. Mm. 
and then you have uh, Star get the submission hold, um, uh, like a clover leaf, and Devlin finally taps out, and the fans erupt. This is a much bigger reaction than the lucky kid Walter reaction. This was immense. This this was the most vibrant atmosphere I've I've felt as a progress show for a long, long time. This was something incredible. Um, it does sound it, it sounds absolutely amazing, and a lot of other people that uh, I've spoken to said the atmosphere and everything was just on point for this match. And obviously, these two have had a really high profile match earlier this year as well. So um, it's good to see that they've had another sort of like to add to their uh, their resume of great matches this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing, the thing is, is that I like I was doing nightly podcasts. Like recapping the night's action, preview next night, and I slated the choices. You know, I slated the fact that we might be ended up with uh, with repeat matches, but this independent angle meant it felt different to the Devlin Star match that we saw in OTT. In the same way that if we get De- uh, get Star Walter uh, in September, it will feel different to what we've had in WXW, like. Progress have by latching on to this storyline that Star gave them, they have managed to do something that is boring from other promotions, but putting their own twist on it. So yeah, this was excellent. And the post match promo was brilliant. You know, you had this thing of uh small moon star having to take the microphone of Smallman not being given the microphone, again, subtly implying that maybe Progress aren't on board with him. Stardom does this brilliant promo where he explains it's not about indie versus WWE, it's about labour rights, sneaks in a line about how it's for the many, not the few. And mm. you know, he is getting the crowd so amped up they even start playing the confetti and turn the lights on to try and get him to hurry up, and he keeps going. I'll be really interested to see what they do with the interview on the VOD in sense of do they just cut it and not include it and let Star release it kind of further the angle. Um, yeah, this was great. This was one of the best matches I've been to live. It was fantastic. But the question is... How do they keep this going? Like, what is the plan to turn this moment into a storyline? Because JP and particularly um, uh, Joe on the Grapple Spotlight, you know, they've always been on the thing of progress are good at booking moments, less good mm. at moments and storylines. And that's the thing with me is like, this is a great moment. I can't wait to see Walter, uh, Walter Star. I have no idea how you dragged the storyline out until September. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we've talked um, all about this uh, Super Strong Cell 16 2019 and certainly some uh, great moments, as you noted there on it. But uh, progress usually going to a slump in the summer with tons of shows and not a great deal of direction as they build up for a big show later in the year. Uh, obviously, this was the case with Wembley last year and all the shows they held in the USA last year. But... Um, I mean, but JP, where did progress go from here? As noted at the start of the show, lots of debuts here, quite a lot of imports compared to previous years when the company hasn't really used imports. Jimmy Havoc finishing up, Will Ospreay finished up last month, Haskins has done everything and his priorities are ROH, uh, women's division, 
I mean, they've got a lot of shows lined up this summer around the UK and also in Canada. Uh, it seems like mm. they're going to struggle to maintain interest, I think. I think so. And I think the fact they're following this up with effectively that non-canon show, the sort of 80s-themed show, I don't necessarily think that helps because, you know, like you, Martin, we heard a lot of buzz about that day three, and I'm really intrigued to, to get around to seeing it. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, where's the follow-up? Where's the where's the follow up to that? It's going to be another couple of months um, for that being the case. And wrestling moving as quickly as it does, it's very hard then for sort of the momentum that comes out of the moment of David Starr winning it. And you know, Will's right when he says that's one of the things that we sort of ended up being quite really worried about it because lots of wrestling is based around moments, and we want to see direction. We want to kind of see okay, where is this going to be in six months? And we've pointed out all the kind of various issues around the defending of the world title, the defending of the women's title. I mean, I think having the tag belts, thank God, and Aussie open for the moment, that's that's a way that lots of companies are going. And do you know what? That's a, that's a hell of a direction to go in. Because I think, I, you know, if anything, that's the kind of certainty for it. And I don't know, because it, it feels like, and obviously we're going to be talking about Rev Pro in a bit as well, there's a whole mid and undercard that kind of needs to be developed with an influx of fresh talent. I've wondered whether or not you start to do effectively a kind of almost reboot of progress mm. and you kind of change the aesthetic around it as well. Maybe give it some sort of fresh logos, give it a fresh look because I think it needs that because it, it, for me, it, it's, it's kind of fallen slightly behind the times and from a booking perspective, as long as the elephant in the room being sort of WWE and the commitments towards that and the kind of pressure that's going to have on the time and the planning, it starts, it still makes me think, okay, where, where does progress really fit into this? What is the, the kind of, what is the reasons for, for its existence at this stage? It just appears to be somewhere really for people who are contracted for NXT UK to kind of know that there is an element of work, but then even then lots of them are being phased out of it. And given the contract situation, so many people being signed, you know, some of which I think like a Havoc and a Haskins, they could do with being away from the British scene for quite some time. But it's it's hard. It's It feels like it's still in a state of flux. And while people got what they wanted with the David Starr win, it's still in a state of flux. And, and I don't kind of, you don't want that to be forgotten about because people say, oh, it was, you know, this was a great match and this was a great night of wrestling. But, you know, it, for me, I'm always thinking, OK, well, where is this in six months time? I mean, again, I don't think you complain this in carrot, but hey, why mm. not? It, that, this is what progress ripped off the tournament. <laughs> you know, you look at 16 carrot, you saw direction for progress, you know, sorry, for, for WXW. Yeah. Look at Kid Whip. You had a whole Schoenfreude storyline and how that, that, uh, how that, Con, uh, contest between them and Rise for Lucky Kids' affections. Mm. You had the kind of doom of look of uh, Timothy Thatcher. You had Avalanche's um, uh, elevation against the semi-finals. You know, you could point to things that happened that kind of paved the way for future storylines that they have since picked up. You know, the doom of David Starr in the opening round, for example. To me. This blew off all of Progress's mid-card, particularly if you, if you combine it with uh, the Breadknife chapter that went before it. You know, what has been 
the things that have anchored Progress's shows since uh, unboxing. Well, it's been the DNR angle, blown off. If they bring it back, people should start mooning the ring. Like, it's compl- it's got beyond a joke now. Like, you can't bring these guys back. It is like, you know, it's cruelty to performers. No, mm. all these guys have been go away for a while and be brought brought back as independent acts. The yeah, tag especially with Spike Trevay, especially where we were talking yeah. about him last time around. Uh, he's yeah. doing some excellent work in Riptide, and especially his mic work. He, he's definitely yep. someone who could shine a lot more, given a lot more freedom in like a higher-profile promotion like Progress. But, but even Chuck Mambo. Chuck Mambo's good. Like He really is good. Mm. He can be like the babyface character he excels at playing. So that's gone. That that takes them at least one match, maybe two matches, depending on how they use use them in some shows as a mid card. You you've 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 blown off your woman's tournaments, but you don't have a woman's champion who can defend their title. That's another match gone, and they surely can't go back to the well of another tournament to determine who faces Grace when they can scramble the money together to fly her over. You then have the tag titles, and yeah, Aussie Open are great, but who are they facing? They're facing the 198. No one cares about the 198. Why did the ta- why were the tag titles so over in progress over the past few months? Swords of Essex. Swords of Essex were a main event act, and they helped mm. elevate Aussie Open in progress. Swords of Essex are gone. Trent Seven. You can you can say what you want about the matches after the Atlas title. But that had been a perennial. Like, whatever happened, even when they had a chapter show a week before WrestleMania, you still had Trent Seven as Atlas champion, killing time, doing something on the shows. That's gone. What is there in Progress's mid-cards? They build nothing. Yeah, that's that has been the worry for, like, the past sort of, like, 12 months that they've not been building anybody even the sort of like do not resuscitate like we've noted earlier seem to be a not doing anything after that initial angle and like they, they just got seem to get smashed by everybody so you know really interesting summer for progress i think the most interesting uh some of the they'll have had since they started really and i think jp's <laughs> idea of maybe doing a re uh, you know a bit you know a bit of a reboot is a you know, something that they should be considering. But just one thing on that, Martin, is like, there was stuff that may not have been good, but it was stuff. What I'm saying is, I can't think of the stuff. Like, I wasn't a fan of DNR, but at least I could say that I have a DNR match on the show. Mm. You can't even say that now. In terms of the reboot, I think the most fascinating thing about progress is what is Chapter 100? Because, you know, like, they're, they're, they're busy with their WWE UK stuff. It's a perfect time to bow out. Perfect time to buy out. Yeah, yeah. 100, 100 not out. Briley likes a cricket reference. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. Like, and the thing is, like, you have to wait. Like, we, we slate progress for their booking sometimes. But they're by far the biggest promotion. Like, I, I, like Red yeah. Pro will have their big shows every now and again. Rev Pro aren't anywhere near to progress in terms of the consistent audiences progress draws. If progress was to bow out at Chapter 100, which would be early 2020, the scene would really miss them. 
Yeah, they would. I mean, if you talk to Americans or Canadians or whatever, I mean, Progress is the uh, most prominent promotion for them, and that's why the tours over there last year, and I'm assuming the dates they're doing in Toronto will be really successful because uh, they are a really prominent worldwide promotion. But, uh, but yeah, it will be interesting to see where they go. But moving away from Progress and on to uh, Red Pro, who held their epic encounter event on the 10th of May at their usual home of York Hall in London, and... Will and JP were live there for that one, and I watched on VOD and Red Pro. Mm. A bit of a rocky start to 2019. Not always announcing much of the card leading up to big shows. Hosting Dream Pack matches that have left fans feeling very deflated due to the finishes. And having a weaker talent pool to draw from hasn't made for the best few months of the company. However, mm. this was a real return to form for them. I really enjoyed the show. A decent undercard topped off by two awesome main events. I mean, we'll go straight into the main events. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one was Red Pro Tag Champ Suzuki gone Monero Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. facing off against Aussie Open. And Suzuki going to have held the tag belts now for around 15 months, defending them only a handful of times. Uh, the time was right for them to lose to someone who could defend them on shows more often, and Aussie Open are the perfect team, and what a match this was. Suzuki offering to have a fight with half of York Hall, including referee Chris Roberts, chop duels between Mark Davis and Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr. showcasing his technical brilliance, and some great near falls with Davis and Fletcher finally picking up the win. I mean, I absolutely love this match, JP. I don't know how it came yeah. across in, in the building. Oh, I loved it. I completely lost my mind when they won because as a, you know, a, a, a pretty much a regular for a lot of RevPro shows and one of the things that um, has been, uh, one of the things that's bothered me, and I mentioned it earlier on, is about the title belts not being on uh, people who are going to be regulars on there. And seeing Aussie Open having a great match with them before last year, and it was it was such a good match, um, but they fell short. It, it felt like this was the moment they should have had. Um, it was a it was a clean finish. I think even the comedy in the middle with like you say with Suzuki and Roberts, which has always been an ongoing thing because yeah. they played up to that in Brixton. They played up to it in lots. Of, I think they played up to it in Japan as well at one point um, at various points. No, sorry um, for mania weekend. But um, I think overall um, it was the moment that Aussie open needed. And we're talking about like what the swords of Essex feud did for them in progress. I think this match did for the, did for them as well. And it was well deserved, and it was it was a really it was a really fun match. Aussie Open, such a strong side. We mentioned about Kyle Fletcher's upside earlier on. I think the finish of this match kind of sets Mark Davis up as a possible challenger for Zack Sabre Junior, which I think's absolutely fine. I'd be more than happy um, to see that, whether that's at the main event of a cockpit show or when possibly in the summer when there's um, some of the uh, big New Japan stars are over for the Royal yeah. Quest show that maybe have it on that on the, for the summer sizzler on the, the night before. Um, but yeah, loved it. It was, it was great fun and classic kind of match. And, it, you know, Aussie Open were put over exactly the right way and gave you a good feeling as a fan especially sorry i would say especially given all the tumult that you mentioned earlier on with rev pro and their booking and the kind of influence that new japan has kind of had over it 
Yeah, and definitely. I think, and I think Aussies were definitely the right team uh, to take the belts off them, Will. No, absolutely. I mean, I think they, they teased it perfectly where you think the Aussies are going to win. They then get a late reversal. You have uh, Sabre uh, trap Davis in the armbar while Suzuki is kind of beating on Kyle outside. And then Davis powerbomb slams Sabre to break the armbar. Fletcher super kicks Suzuki, finally gains some physical offense on Suzuki for the first time in about 50 minutes of in-ring action between the two teams. <laughs> and then Davis hits a big power driver for the win. The thing, I, I, I agree with everything uh, JP said, the thing that struck me, this match flew by. Like, Red Pro been doing these counts, it's now every 10 minutes. They hit the 20-minute mark, Mike. I think I, I come over. It was you, JP, or it was Joe, or somebody else. I just went to somebody and said, mm. "Look at me! It's it's twenty minutes gone already." I, I, it just did not feel that long at all. No, nope, not at all. How did it come across in the VID, mine? Oh yeah, perfectly. And um, I mean, you noted earlier that uh, they had a different setup in your column. There seemed to be a lot less people there, but that didn't come across yes. either. You know, the atmosphere seemed to be. Uh, really lively and especially when Suzuki was you know offering members of the crowd out and stuff everyone seemed to be well into it and uh yeah just a fantastic match overall and um you know I mean a lot of a lot of us have complained about the fact that Suzuki gonna have got the tag belts and they're hardly ever in the UK well outside of Zack Sabre Jr but he can't defend them on his own can you but when they're delivering matches mm-hmm. like this and the other matches that they've had you know perhaps it has been worth having the tag belts on them for such a long time but um I mean, they weren't the only match headlining uh, this show. Moving on to the second main event of the evening and a match Red Pro been building up perfectly. El Fantasma and David Starr have been building up their rivalry. Had a series of matches in 2018, some great confrontations on the monthly cockpit shows earlier this year. Uh, great video package to open this match with the two facing off in the first Red Pro ladder match for the Cruiserweight Championship. And I mean... I said on the last show, I've been sort of burnt out on ladder matches and TLC matches <laughs> for a while now, but I really enjoyed the Progress TLC match last month and actually really enjoyed this one. There were a few slow moments where furniture was being set up, but the story leading into this one really made the match, for me, mean so much more. It, it was rather they looked to inflict as much punishment on each other as possible rather than going for the belt. I mean, there was some brutal stuff in here. The ladder was used to great effect. I mean... Even going into the end stretch, Star brought out his own referee, Shea Purser, uh, mm. you know, because obviously he doesn't trust Chris Roberts officiating, only for Roberts and Shea to even go at it. And El Fantasmo picked up the win, ended a fantastic feud and match, JP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was, um, it was funny because uh, the first half of this, uh, the first few minutes of this match, I was watching it downstairs and I couldn't see it. So I ended up going upstairs and joining Will and, uh, and, um, uh, everybody else upstairs because it felt like um you could actually sort of you needed that aerial vantage point of it the shenanigans again which i'm not necessarily a big fan of they really worked here and it kind of helped that obviously shay purser and chris roberts have had a dry run of this feud before in um in attack but Shay Purser, they've sort of subtly built this up on cockpit shows for quite some time of being the David Starr referee without ever playing into it. And this was the first time that they overtly did. Um, it completely delivered for what 
this crowd was. I don't know. My initial fear was uh, would Phantasmo be able to have it have the kind of aggression that you need for this blood feud, basically. And I felt he did. I felt he delivered um, in what has been a hell of a month for him. Um, it, it was something it was like, again, like a really kind of good, satisfying ending to um, a long term feud, which had been built up with probably the best promo video that I've seen Rev Pro um, put out there. Um, I think it was made by um, Robin Gooding of Beyond Gorilla. Yeah. Um, and I think now where it leads on from here, you've you've got ELP. I know obviously he's he's gonna be away, he's away on the best of the Super Juniors tour. But I think as well it gives Star with Shea Purser effectively as his referee a chance to kind of get for the top of the card, which is really where he should be. And it feels like everyone is ready for that. Everyone's ready for Phantasmo to have these kind of great cruiserweight matches. But at the same time, the crowd is also ready for David Starr to be delivering for the heavyweight title. And that's really kind of where he should be. They tested the waters, obviously, with Ishii, and I think that was a success. And I think the same thing again here. This is kind of, it felt like a nice bookend leading into different chapters for both wrestlers. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely with that. And I think it was, it was a really cleverly booked match. There were so many callbacks to things beforehand. Yep. So you had the... Um, when El Phantasmo looks like he's about to win, you have Shane Purser run in and uh, low blow El Phantasmo. Star thinks he's about to win and Chris Roberts chucks him off the ladder. You don't know, Shane Purser and Chris Roberts brawl um, and culminated with Chris Roberts. I think power bombing uh, Shane Purser on the entrance ramp, um, which shouldn't work in your big grudge match. <laughs> so did. The crowd was going ballistic. You had this really clever spot where uh, El, uh, Star manages to force uh, El Fantasmo off the ladder by chucking thumbtacks at him. El Fantasmo lands next to the old cruiserweight title because they have a new one. By the way, I think that cruiserweight title has been designed so it looks particularly douchey for El Fantasmo to carry to the ring in New Japan as a heel. As he's dressed like the gringo extra from Scarface, um, you Elvin Tasman lands next to the old cruiserweight title. He clocks it and he takes that. He whacks David Starr on the head. Star falls down. Elvin Tasman gets the belt. They kind of they kind of coda to all those belt shots Star used to uh, to to retain the title against Elvin Tasman. Really. Really smartly booked match, really gruesome. JP went to me midway through the match. He said, "Have you noticed the blood?" Uh, and I, I went to him and said, "Yeah, of course." Thinking he meant the blood on Star's forehead. I then turned around mm. and saw that because Star was in a tree of work, <laughs> like a puddle of blood forming beneath Star in the ring apron. Yeah, wow. it was it was proper Davy Death Match stuff. Yes, it was. It was it was pretty gruesome. There was a couple of chair shots to the head, which we're not meant to enjoy, but I think everybody did. Um, um, it was a really good match, really gruesome, really brutal, and it shows what Red Pro can do with a title when they put their minds to it. And I absolutely agree with JP. Uh, David Starr now needs to start challenging for the heavyweight title because, let's face it, he has about 30 pounds of Zack Sabre. Yeah. At- 
I think those two would have some good promo battles and they certainly have some great matches. I mean, this time last year, we're, you know, in May, we were talking about Walter, you know, already being telegraphed for Wrestler of the Year. I mean, JP, the work David Starr has done in every promotion he appears in, surely he's like the current front runner for uh, European Wrestler of the Year, even though he's American. Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, and he's, by this stage, I mean, he's, God, he feels more... He's like Mr. British Wrestling at this point. Um, Mr. European Wrestling. He he deserves all of the plaudits he gets. Yeah, if you're looking at it as the kind of overall complete package, I I struggle to think of matches of his where I'm not, you know, at least I'm always interested in them. He's a captivating presence and he's so confident in himself and he really does back himself, as we've said earlier on. And it kind of shines through in his ring work. And I don't I don't think it's arrogance. I think, you know, he basically walks the walk when it comes to delivering on big matches. I mean, this is his second York Hall main event. Both of them have been excellent. His his promos and his deliveries in the build up to um to this match have, have been tremendous. And they've been tremendous everywhere. It's it it feels like this is someone who, if you're an independent wrestling fan in Europe, it's so easy to get behind him. If for no other reason, like even if you dislike the character, you're engaged by him. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. He's just got that presence. And I think, you know, you said arrogance or whatever. I think every wrestler, mm. every successful wrestler has got to have that swagger about them, haven't they? And uh, yeah. he's just certainly got it for sure. I mean, yeah. me, I, I agree with all of that. I would say the, I think Walt and Osprey, are in contention up till now, but mm. there are reasons to think they won't keep the pace, whereas there's no reason to think Stoller won't keep having great match after great match in British and European promotions. And, uh, yeah. I mean, moving past Red Pro and on to uh, the next night in London, and we had Pro Wrestling Eve, the, the all-female promotion, continued their road to the big show they're having at York Hall later on, and as they presented their late show, she persisted on the 11th of May at the Resistance Gallery in Bethnal Green, and uh, this featured two huge departures from the company, and, well, this was another show you attended live. Yes, although, unfortunately, I, was, I got there late, so I missed their match. I did see their departure because they had, a, like, a farewell, but I missed their match. It seemed quite funny because it was uh, Kaylee Ray and Viper, depending in WWE UK, going up against Jetta and Erin Angel, and apparently there was Twister and Hungry Hippo involved. <laughs> I, I have not. I have not seen that match. It's a shame they're both leaving. Obviously, they've been great in personal Eve. They are fighting for the title. They they did not add Jamie Hater to the uh, to the Wrestle Kingdom main event. So unless they have announced a show on the twenty eighth of June, um, so like a Road to Wrestle Kingdom show the Friday beforehand. So. Unless they have something up their sleeve on that show or after the main event, it does look like they're going to have two WWE UK performers who are exiting Eve after that match, fight for their title, and then presumably vacate it. Um, But yeah, no, it it was a good show. Um, The best match was the main event, which was good, which was uh, uh, Nina Samuels versus Jamie Hayter. Um, some good funny heel on heel stuff early on when they kept trying to double stab each uh, backstab each other on like tests of strength uh, exchange of holds, but but they do it at, at the same time to cancel each other out. 
Um, but then going to a really good match. And again, just to go back to JP's point, Nina Samuels has been really good in Eve this year. Um, mm. She's really brought dimming action and she's, she's much improved when I first saw in progress. Um, so yeah, so this, this was a good show, but like a lot of promotions at the moment, it's not inclined entirely clear where Eve's storylines are going because of all the issues of the contract. So it's not just WWE UK. It's also the fact that, you know, uh, Charlie Evans and Willie McKenzie are going for the tag titles, the newly created tag titles at Wrestle Kingdom. But because Minnie McKenzie's doing a load of tours with Sendai Girls and also doing some tours in Australia, Minnie McKenzie's not been um, at a pro wrestling Eve show, I think, and since I think since February, February or March. So everybody really is booking around the limitations caused by the chaotic situation we're all facing in British wrestling at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, it does seem like uh, promotions uh, don't know who they can have from uh, from one month to the next. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that big card at Your Call for Eve uh, comes about. Yeah, really. Lucky. I, I enjoyed last year's one at Your Call, and I'm um, looking forward to the, this year's. And, I mean, the final review is uh, from my local promotion, Breeder. They're a new promotion based in Sheffield. I mean... We discussed them very briefly on the show before, and they held a midweek event at the Hex Nightclub, a pretty small venue, but this was Breed's version of a contender's show with a big match headlining and then a number of lesser-known talents on the undercard. Uh, Schedule gods aligned, and I was able to make my first show, and I've been impressed from what I've seen of Eve so far. The venue was great. It's quite a small nightclub. Had a fun night, five-pound tickets, cheap booze, and saw some great new talent. I mean... The main standout for me was Matthew Brooks. Uh, this is a wrestler Ben I was mentioned on here before after uh, attending PCW shows. And mm. I can't believe this guy isn't being used everywhere. I mean, he's a trained opera singer, comes out singing about himself in an opera style only to remix it into Under the Sea from Little Mermaid, still making it about himself being a great wrestler. Fantastic cape with the King of Song style written on the back. Great physique to boot. I mean, he was an instant hit with this crowd. He took on Sandy Beach, uh, had a good match, uh, with Brooks even doing uh, an Ultimate Warrior rope shake uh, while tuning up his vocals. I mean, both these two look great. I mean, JP, you've seen Brooks before in PCW. I mean, it's amazing that he's not being used in in a lot more promotions because he was an instant hit on, on the night I saw him. Oh, he is. Like, when you see him, he's he's so charismatic. He's got a fantastic look. He can genuinely sing, which really obviously helps with it. And, you know, obviously he's very sort of new necessarily as, as a wrestler, but certainly his ring work is getting better. I mean, I've seen him a couple of times now. I always enjoy him. The first time I saw him, he was in a tag team with Sugar Dunkerton um, for the PCW. So he was there for the Road to Glory tournament. And... Like, as you can imagine, the crowd absolutely lapped those two up. Mm. It was it was fantastic. But he's someone who you want to see certainly getting on some of those yeah. those undercard matches um, on a lot of shows in and around and hopefully getting to break out of of um, out of the out of just being in the sort of north and northwest scenes where he seems to be primarily based at the moment he's someone who certainly deserves is well worth looking at and if you're running family shows he is perfect for it 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you mentioned Sugar Dunkton there, and he, he was on this card as well against Big Joe. That was a real fun match. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dunkton's someone who's getting more high-profile places now, which is great to see. And uh, we don't want to go too much on this show, but uh, last shout-out has to be the opening match. We had a three-way featuring uh, this kid from Bradford, Leon Blade. I mean, nowhere near the finished article, but looked really good in some slick high-flying. And then I found out after the show he's only 15. And I was what? like, bloody hell. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, obviously, UK is known for uh, people starting young, but for uh, the way he moved around the ring and stuff, I was amazed. So, uh, obviously, lots of things to come from him. So, uh, all in all, a great show to showcase some less well-known names. Definitely head down to these. I'll be definitely heading down to these, rather, if they do them monthly. And, uh, I mean, before we move on to some news, uh, we can't talk about Breed without talking about the big show they've got coming up in September, Star Cave, which is a wrestling <laughs> show in an actual cave. I mean, it, it's called the Devil's Arse in Derbyshire, no less. Uh, I think they've done some cinema events in here, and it looks pretty great from the pictures. Great idea to put a show on here. I remember going there on a caving trip as a kid, because obviously it's near to where I live, and they've announced Chris Brooks and Aussie Open to appear so far, and... Uh, well, I mean, Breed really doing things to make themselves stand out from a very crowded marketplace here. Oh, yeah, I mean, I went to their debut show and I loved it. They're in this old, old cinema slash theatre in these nice, comfy seats. They really stand out. It's like, okay, um, apologies, Martin, this sounds patronising, but like, there's a real northern quirkiness to them that kind of uh, comes out. Um, <laughs> as, as a really southern soft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a middle of that, so yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I really like Breed, and I thought this, I think the Star Cave gimmick is brilliant. I really, really, really want to go, but there is so much wrestling in September. Mm. I may have to give it a miss, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. Like the, the kind of concept photos they've released make it look like a really special place to uh, to to watch wrestling, and I know. I don't think Chris Brooks was originally booked on the show, and when he saw the concept photos, he started berating them on Twitter to get booked because he's not—he's not wrestled for Breed yet. He just really wants to wrestle in the cave. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame him either. Certainly, um, certainly something very different and new, unique, rather. And moving on to some news now, and obviously the biggest news of the past couple of weeks was ITV announcing they'll be broadcasting the All Elite Wrestling pay per view Double or Nothing on the. ITV box office service and the Casino Battle Royale pre-show is going to be shown for free on ITV4 and I mean this is massive news for all elite in ITV here JP I mean their box office channels only started in the past year or so that's right um and it's it's interesting because it's actually part of a much bigger strategy that ITV have been putting together which is trying to kind of generate the idea is to try and generate a hundred million so they're not as reliant on television advertising especially in the era of kind of people cutting the cord and and television viewers being as harder to reach at any point in time in history so the idea of them going on to box office means for me i kind of look at it um that it's in itv's interests for this to do well it's like they've almost got kind of what could be a long-term decent financial stake of raising revenue through box office if they do it sort of six times a year i know kind of jumping the gun there's not been anything necessarily announced but didn't wwe try and call itv to get on nxt uk on there well triple h was on their good morning programs a couple of times yeah 
Yeah. The fact is, you know, the fact that Tony Khan has got in there, and I think this is the important factor. Now, he's got in there through um, ITV Sport and not entertainment, I think gives it a kind of different credibility. I think it'll be treated a lot more seriously as an entity as opposed to World of Sport, which I always think suffered from, you know, what could be television executives not really understanding wrestling in 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 a sense they kind of viewed it as sort of relatively easy kids tv but they didn't want to show any strikes or anything else which kind of defeats the purpose of showing wrestling on television whereas you put it in the sports division i think the analogy is you can get away with having a quite brutal game of rugby in the six nations on a three o'clock on a on a saturday and there's no complaints about that there's the obvious tie-ins they can get in there as well um i think it's it's really it's it's a good move um so far and i know will you, you would probably you'd know a lot more about this um in terms of what itv box office bef- has done before i think the sort of ceiling has tended to be around a hundred thousand buys for anything they've done i'm thinking sort of george groves versus chris eubanks jr was a was a big fight that they had so even if they can get say fifteen thousand, you're talking at 1495 you're talking basically two hundred and twenty-five thousand, give or take you know i think there's something really in this it feels like hopefully itv will think you know the fact that they've given them the chance to have the the pre-show on there as well itv4 is readily available as much as um i don't know i suppose it'd be basic cable would be the analogy for the states Mm. in terms of those those free channels as well i'm really excited about this and i think if you're wwe and the fact that they haven't signed a new deal yet with sky this is something will be a real cause for concern no, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things as well is this is a shop window for AEW, not just for ITV, but this as well. Sky will have a decent idea of this. You know, some of the buyers will go through Sky's platform, so Sky will have an idea of how many people are purchasing. Obviously, the uh, figures for the, um, the, the pre-show will be released as well. Yep. You know, if this does well... And Sky and WWE really can't get a deal. You could easily see Sky say, actually, we'll swoop in and get uh, AEW instead. And um, so it is important. It is a big deal. Mm. Um, as JP was saying, ITV are trying to get more money from the customer. Um, and this, and if AEW, if AEW can get a significant number of pay-per-view buys. <coughs> Particularly when you think, unlike a Chris Eubank, George Groves match, ITV are having to pick up the bill for production. They, yes. they, they, they will be very interested in keeping this going. Tony Khan did an interview, a 10 minute interview with ITV um, this, earlier this week. He's already talking about trying to do shows in the UK. Um, this, yeah, this could be big. I know if you're looking, I mean, if you're looking to try and place this. You know, at the moment, uh, Impact is on 5 USA. 5 USA in March accounted for 0.6% of all UK TV viewing. Mm-hmm. ITV4 accounted for 1% of all UK TV viewing. So you'll cover in a station that is almost twice as widely watched as what Impact's on, and Impact was able to turn... Um, stage has been on in the past into profitable touring enterprises in the UK. So yeah, this is big. Um, this is really big. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it does seem to be their dedicated sports channel, doesn't it, with a lot of sports shows. And also, for, yep. uh, you know, oldies like me who haven't cut the cable, it's very prominent on Sky listings and on Freeview. It's not lost somewhere on Channel 547 or something. You know, it, it's up there with all the other major channels, you know. And it, it seems like uh, they, they are trying to build this up as a uh, as a sports channel. And, um, you know, they have used the boxing match of Chris Eubank Jr. to launch the box office service, and it seems like they're, uh, they've realised how popular wrestling is, so they're, they're trying to get this to uh, move the box office service even even further. Yeah. The one thing I'm waiting for is, after this, what a deal do they announce? ITV do have a bad rep for being skittish when it comes to combat sports and not investing long-term. The moves they've made so far are very positive. I have been here before with boxing, but so far, so good. They need to kill it with AEW and blow nothing. If that does well, then hopefully they get a a, a, a long-term commitment from ITV in terms of the uh, TNT show, and we see how that goes. And uh, moving on to uh, Chris Ridgway, who's going to be heading out to Japan, appearing at Noah's Global Junior Tag League event at the end of May. And I know Noah aren't as prominent as they used to be, but still a fantastic experience for uh, a wrestler like Ridgway here, JP. Yep, um, similar to what you were saying about Drew Parker earlier. It's a, it's a great experience and a good place for him to go to. I've felt about Chris Ridgway that he's he's very good, but he's he's not on that tier yet where you can kind of get into headline shows i was slightly underwhelmed by the match you had with walter i think tours of japan if if you know the history of wrestlers going away and touring in in japan goes he should come back as a better wrestler as a result of it and considering the style he works i think it really could could work there i mean noah's going through the sort of noah the reborn phase aren't they they've sort of they've rebranded themselves they've based themselves around um, Kitamiya, the, the sort of 22 year old ace who they've gone with. I think there's, there's certainly opportunities for, for Gaijin within Noah to kind of come in, especially who's, who's fresh as well. I could see him really working. I mean, you know, if Joel Redman can get himself <laughs> over, over in, in Japan to a good degree, I'd like to think Chris Ridgway can do the same. I'm just happy happy to see him kind of broadening his experiences and and at least kind of go I, I think you know the work he'll do in the dojos and, and the work he'll do while he's sort of touring out there as well hopefully it'll lead to sort of greater opportunities because I think his style what in the way he needs to perhaps finesse it Japan is the perfect place for him to be yeah I agree I agree with that entirely and it's really good to see somebody thinking outside the <laughs> Taking yes. bookings from a, a, a maybe a less high-profile promotion that will get them buzz internationally, improve them as a wrestler, and also some of the stuff Rich Ray's put on Twitter. It's really good to see him get kind of get over some of the issues he was facing last year in terms of um, if he thinks about some mental health issues. Yep. So it's really good to see him um, back on top form, particularly as you know I can say that you know, in the Oberhausen Open back in November I managed to beat him in bowling. So. Ah. <laughs> So if he he does well in the Noah Junior Tag League, that means I'm a better junior tag wrestler, um, which is quite impressive, given the fact that I'm not a junior heavyweight and I'm not a tag team wrestler. (laughs) Oh, well. 
I'm not sure on the logic on that, but what the hell? Go with it. <laughs> Stick it on your CV, why not? Um, I mean, so staying with Japanese news, uh, B Priestley won the World of Stardom Championship earlier this month. I mean, great news for Priestley, who will be starting with All Elite in July. Uh, someone who got a lot of flag for her ability, and they thought she was getting book places because of her relationship with Will Ospreay uh, a while back, but... She's come on leaps and bounds as a performer this past year or so and uh, really shown the critics that she's more than just uh, Will Ospreay's girlfriend here, Will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't seen the match yet, but the past few times I've seen B Priestley, I've been really impressed. I think she's improved leaps and bounds. She can have really, uh, really good matches um, um, in the ring and it sets up an interest in running stardom. I mean, obviously there was the controversy of the fact that they tried to book against Tony Storm and WWE nixed that pretty quickly, which was a shame. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's really positive. And I think she was talking about the fact that she's going to be focusing on stardom and AEW moving forward, which also ties into what uh, Osprey's been talking about, about uh, reducing his number of UK and Ireland bookings as well. So yeah, I think... Uh, I think the Ospreys might be going the way of Marty School, where we don't get to see him as much as we used to. Oh, well, Osprey says that every year, though, doesn't he, JP? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he does, doesn't he? He says that. Um, I'd say, I find it very hard to see Osprey living in Japan. But, but I mean, but he, like you say, going back on to B, B Priestley, though, as well, she's someone who I can remember, uh, you know, seeing her first few matches, and no, they weren't great. But she's really obviously stuck with it. Stardom aren't fools. They wouldn't put a belt on her if they didn't feel see, see that there was some sort of value there as well. And the AEW women's division, there's a lot of opportunity there. There's, there's more, much more opportunity than if she went to, say, an NXT UK. So if she manages to connect kind of early on and get, and get a bit of buzz there, there's a real opportunity for her for her to do well there as well. And obviously they've got they've got a relationship with Stardom as well, don't they? AEW pretty much through yeah, the. It's um... like most promotions have got a, some kind of relationship with Stardom at some yeah. point. Obviously, they you know Tony Storm might not be able to take on B Priestley, but they're allowing yes. her out to wrestle on the promotion. Yeah, which is weird. Um, who'd have thought it? Cooperation somehow brings out can bring out the best in people. It's a <laughs> wacky idea, and maybe one day it'll catch on in wrestling. I mean, I brought them up then, WWE, but um, last couple of rounds before we head out of here, and they're currently on tour of Europe with this past week's Raw and SmackDown coming from the UK, and like they do on every tour, they've been holding tryouts in the UK, and according to Casey Michael from Squared Circle Sirens, uh, Mike Bird, William Eva, Spike Trevay, and Candy Floss were just some of the names train out for WWE this week and Casey's usually good for info like this so but I don't think we should read too much into these will it's usually a good experience for a wrestler to go and do a tryout just see what's expected so I don't think it's hit the panic button yet that even more folks are getting signed up for NXT UK no particularly because I think most of these guys be too early um them to go they need to have more season on the indies and the one um it's worth noting is uh, Candy Floss unfortunately lost her mum um, over the weekend, and they did, she'd been caring for her mum. The mum had been suffering from cancer for a long time, and um, rather, in a rather nice coda to that story was that uh, she, some people organised a crowdfunding to help pay for her mum's funeral, and I think that was it reached its target within hours. Like by the time I found out about the crowd crowdfunding, 
it already met its funding target. So um, obviously our commiserations and our thoughts to Candy Floss and her family, but uh, well done the fans who helped uh, um, give a good funeral to her mum. Yeah, it's sometimes good when fans come together like that. I mean, I know we can sometimes slag a wrestling fandom off, but, you know, it is good when things like that happen. And, um, I mean, moving back onto the WWE, and, I mean, also on one of the house shows, uh, NXT UK champion faced off against Ron Killings. I mean, this is as random as matches as you can get. I mean, JP, did you ever think we'd see this combination in 2019? K-Quick and Walter. Unless they were both released and Joey Janela was booking the show, it's very hard to see how this could actually come about. Um, when I initially heard about it, I just thought I assumed people were taking the piss. Um, I'd want to see this. It makes me think, uh, you know, will footage of this ever be released? Is this the new Tom McGee Bret Hart match that will? This is it. That yes. Yeah. Only the people in Bournemouth ever got to see this match. Just thinking, what the hell is this? I'd watch it. I'm kind of don't mind those styles clashes necessarily. It's weird. It's very hard not to get beyond that. I'm, I'm surely. I mean, I imagine both of you would be intrigued to watch it. Oh yeah, definitely. It's just, it's just one of those matchups. Like I said, that I never ever thought I'd get to see. And, and when I saw that it was happening, I was like, oh, that's just, just so interesting. I can't imagine that it will be that great of a match. It's just an interesting two wrestlers that you never thought would share the same ring and. And seeing them, you know, seeing pictures of them in the ring was just uh, really interesting to me. See, here's the thing, right? I think there's, what, maybe a one in four chance that Ron Killings face Walter on the Indies. Given how long his career's been, mm. I could easily see that Ron Killings goes to Germany for a random show in the early, uh, early part of this decade. And yeah, we just, and I say that, yeah. Because it's like um, when I was, um, I'd send questions over for previews of progress. So I looked up when set Trent, if Trent Seven over faced Walter in a singles match, and they faced each other once in a freeway involving Dave Massive for the WXW title in 2011 in Wolverhampton. Because reasons. So I can easily <laughs> ah. see. There's a random one killings tour of Germany where they've actually faced each other. Um, and uh, one killings got the victory over Walter because he's a big TNA star. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I might have to go over to see that one. I think, I think <laughs> even, even I, just for sheer novelty value, think, yeah, why not? Let's have a look at this. <laughs> just a uh, fine line to finish us off. Uh, Sin Cara made uh, an appearance at Wolverhampton Wanderers Ground. Molyneux as the uh, faced off against Fulham. <laughs> Tony Khan's team of all teams. Uh, lucky happenstance there uh, to meet up with uh, Raul Jimenez, I think he's... Hit, uh, Raul Jimenez, yeah. Jimenez, yes. Thank you, JP. <laughs> yeah, all right. After he'd worn a Sin Cara mask as part of a goal celebration. I mean, this is your neck of the woods, Will. Certainly got a lot of uh, mainstream press attention. Yeah, it was kind of funny because um, where I worked was also given uh, the Wolverhampton Wanderers manager um, a uh, honorary doctorate on the pitch um, as part of like the, the kind of build-up to the match. This, this was a big deal. This was uh, kind of like their... You know, great first season for Wolverhampton Wanderers back in the Premier League, you know, winning the Everton Cup. Um, and so they did a big celebration. And yeah, there was 20,000 Wolverhampton fans wearing Sin Cara masks. Um, Trent, um, we all asked Trent Seven, that super strong style, what he made of the uh, experience. And he was like, 
it was pretty amazing. Like it was, it was a crazy experience to be there, and I and I could well imagine. I mean, the interesting thing is that Jimenez was talking about how Sin Cara um, uh, was his uh, hero, which first of all means that he needs to get onto the phone to JP, so JP can show him the really good. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but secondly, it's kind of this thing of can you can you imagine how much Jimenez makes no in a year compared to what Sincaro making his entire career? And it's like the guy who's p- being paid no hundreds of thousands a week is saying the guy who get hundreds of thousands a year if he's lucky is his hero. So. Get bare paid wrestlers. You can do it. Yeah. So uh, just before we head out of here, uh, JP, you uh, have got a grapple spotlight coming up this week. Yes, yes. It's probably going to be out pretty much roughly around the same time as this. Um, main difference being that on Grapple Spotlight, we, t- we get to kind of cover the world of wrestling on there. Um, yeah, this week is scheduling conflicts. It's just me and Joe. Um we had a sort of look at the AEW and ITV, looked at Epic Encounters, um, Best of the Super Juniors as well, with all the other kind of miscellaneous shite that we end up talking about. But whenever we're doing a podcast together, so <clears throat> a lot, I think we just ended up getting lost looking at ITV4 schedules of just <laughs> basically, a, it, for those, if you're big fans of like Minder, the Professionals, the old Avengers, and lots of repeats of the chase, as well as all the sports, you know. Yeah, we lost, got lost down that rabbit hole. But yeah, you can, um, yeah, you can uh, listen to us on that. Well, did you follow through what you said to me that you're going to talk about the leadership? What we did didn't. Get? We didn't oh. get round. No, no. We, um, as with all best laid plans with us, we end up going <laughs> sort of far too long. Um, so yeah, we was like meant to be like we'll do an hour and it ends up as two. It is, it is the way, it is the way we are. And uh, Will, obviously, you've launched a new podcast on uh, Pro Wrestling Talk. Yeah, so Bush Wrestling Report. So I'm trying to be more news focused um, and more live reaction to big shows. So a show has gone up, although it is shorter than the show I sent over to them. So I need to after we finish this uh, conversation and see what's going on. But it has um, kind of an in-depth look at this sad news about Silver King's death in London, mm. and kind of an in-depth explanation about how but wrestling in England and Wales actually is regulated, and it's it's not consistent regulation, but it's not nothing either. Before we go on to kind of the weirdness around the uh, Zoe Lucas attacking women's wrestling fans on Twitter over the past few days. And then a kind of more in-depth review of Pro Wrestling Eve. Excellent. Good stuff. And, of course, uh, you can head over to forum.postwrestling.com. Leave us your feedback for this week's show or any of our other shows. And, yeah, I'll be back with Benno and Jamesy on the 29th of May. And we'll be talking all the latest from European wrestling. And thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.